The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It's 5 a.m. in New York, and here is your top five at five. The Fed out with a warning for investors. Why the central bank finally getting nervous about rising asset prices, but markets may be ignoring it. Futures are higher. Work it for a living. Forecasters say the economy likely added more than a million new jobs last month. The big government employment report due out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. What's your estimate? Worried about politicians and grandmas? Jamie Dimon speaking out on taxes and Bitcoin and a lot of things. And he's not holding back on anything. Shares of Peloton bouncing back this morning on strong sales for its bikes. But the company also warning it will take a hit. It's a big treadmill recall. And back by popular demand, your exclusive report on insider buying. Find out what company execs are making the biggest bets on their own stocks. It is Friday, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Well, good Friday morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. And happy Friday. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Let's get right now to it and get a check on your money and the markets on this Jobs Day Friday. Remember, the jobs number is out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Well, the futures right now, they are up. Not a lot, but they're up. Dow 28, NASDAQ up 16 in the green nonetheless. The NASDAQ busting out of a four-day slump on Thursday. The Dow, it just keeps doing what it does, posting another big day. And you can thank one Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs shares surging again. And if you have not been paying attention to the bank, you should be. Look at that. Right around November 1st, Goldman shares took off. It is basically doubled in a year and really booming since the fall. Goldman Sachs at 367 a share. It was at 185 one year ago. Wow. You go, Goldman. Got to look at the crypto market as well, of course. Everybody out there seems to be interested in it, talking about it, got questions. Bitcoin up a little bit. Ethereum is down a little bit. We are seeing the Doge, though, a little bit higher this morning. Dogecoin at 62 cents off its high, of course. It hit 69 cents a share, but uh, it is higher from the constant moves. Remember, there's really no pre- or post-market to a lot of these cryptos. They just kind of trade constantly all the time. Dogecoin, which I know a lot of you out there are watching every day for good reason, by the way. Dogecoin at 62 cents. We'll get more in the markets and your money in a moment. But right now, let's get you up to speed on some of this morning's big news. The Fed warning rising asset prices are posing increasing threats to the financial system. The word of caution coming in the central bank's semi-annual financial stability report. It reads in part, Asset prices may be vulnerable to significant declines should risk appetite fall, end quote. Now, take note, that is a huge warning from the Fed. Fed Governor Leo Brainerd argues the situation bears watching and highlights the importance of making sure that the system has proper safeguards. Hmm. 
Also happening now, J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon speaking out on Washington's plan for an infrastructure bill and the likelihood of higher taxes. He wants lawmakers to be more specific on spending, saying, quote, just throwing money, it doesn't work. As for raising taxes, here's what he says. I think the notion that you can have, you know, uncompetitive corporate taxes and you can be a competitive nation is a little crazy. I don't want to bore people with it. And by the way, the details, the the devil's in the detail, which is it's not the 25 percent can you support. It's the other stuff, territorial, guilty chart things, you know, deductions overseas, gap taxes. And that's the stuff that that what they have currently that they wouldn't just be taking away the Trump corporate tax cut. They'd be tripling it. Literally. And that will really hurt capital formation in the United States. And I just capital formation drives all productivity, all technology, all growth. And if policymakers don't get that and they think they're going to drive a lot of capital overseas, I think they're making a mistake. Details, details, Jamie. Well, Diamond made those comments in an interview posted for the Investment Company Institute general membership meeting. They should Get a lot of attention today. And in corporate news this morning, the CEO of Norwegian Cruise Line says that his U.S. ships are unlikely to sail this summer. In an interview with CNBC, he called the new CDC guidance unfair and says the cruise industry is facing tougher restrictions than those in other industries like hotels or restaurants. All right, now let's get back to the markets on this Jobs Friday. Remember, the big payroll number out at 8.30 a.m., now, economists polled by Dow Jones, on average, expect about 1 million jobs have been added over the past month, although the, the estimates are kind of all over the place. That's the average. That's a big number. And unemployment in some states, believe this, is now below pre-pandemic levels. The economy is booming. But does that make stocks a good bet after this big run that we have had? Joining us now is iSector's chief investment officer, Chuck Self. Uh, Charles, good to have you back on. I mean, you know the number. I mean, the numbers are strong. The economy is strong, except for hospitality and certain other, you know, segments of the economy. But the markets had a huge run. Are stocks overall a good bet right now? Yes or no? Overall, stocks are not a a good bet, especially if you have a long-term view. It's hard to know what's going to happen in the short run. But the the real risk here, given the consensus is uh, very bullish, that actually we have some strong un, um, employment numbers over the next couple of months. And then the Fed decides to pull the punch bowl away, stops buying uh, uh, bonds as much as they have been. And then people start worrying about whether the Fed is going to increase short-term interest rates. Yeah, I mean, you heard the warning at the top of the show. I mean, that's basically as, <laughs> I mean, the Fed, Fed speak, if you can decipher it, Chuck, I mean, you know, they use basically the most boring language possible. But what they're basically saying is if people decide they don't want to invest anymore, stocks could be, and I'm paraphrasing, in for a sharp correction. Sounds like you might agree with the Fed. Well, and, you know, the Fed report is a report that comes out semi-annually. So they're not trying to make short-term calls in the market. And we don't try to make short-term calls in the market. It comes down to uh, historically, when you have this kind of valuation, it and you look at especially forward-looking PEs, you tend to have relatively close to zero returns over the next five years. And so 
that uh, that doesn't mean that there will won't be stocks that will give uh, relative returns, but it really will be a market of stocks instead of a stock market. You think we're going to if we just bought like a, a an S&P index fund, do you think our returns are going to be flat the next five years, Chuck? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be volatile, obviously, but it's it's going to be it's certainly going to be much less than we have experienced over the past five years. And the, maybe after this year, the uh, years of double digit returns, especially consecutive ones, are are over. And again, uh, and, we, and we're already starting to see the signs that that might be happening because of the rotation uh, in the market. Again, it's not that uh, no stocks are uh, yeah. are going up. It's just that we're changing leadership. Okay. And where is that leadership going to? I, I can tell you where it's from. We all know where leadership has been, and that has been the big technology names. That That's a surprise to exactly zero of our viewers. But right. where might some of that money be going? We want to know where the puck is going, Chuck, not where the puck has been. <laughs> uh, I'm a big hockey fan, so uh, thank you for quoting uh, Gretzky. But but uh, the puck has already uh, moved towards the value stocks, especially stocks like financial and, and energy have uh, done well over the past uh, six months or so. And we think this is just the beginning of, of that increase in prices of value versus growth. Again, when you look at valuations of value stocks versus growth stocks uh, and, and looking at the forward PEs, value stocks are still very cheap. And, and so it's not too late to get on the value train. And we think that investors should be uh, buying more and more value stocks and be lightening up on their growth stocks. You think, you think energy, when you say energy, you mean oil and gas? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, I, I, energy is going to still be around. Obviously, um, fossil fuel energy is is still going to be around. And the good news about fossil fuel energy companies is that, for the most part, their balance sheets are quite strong. And because of that, uh, if there is some volatility in the economy, let's let's just say, for instance, that the economy is only going up mainly mm. because of the stimulus checks. There's they still will be able to uh, deal with that and be able to uh, be profitable. Many of these uh, companies have had uh, tremendous earnings growth and the long-term trend is still going to uh, be there. Yes, we believe in clean energy stocks. We we own some clean energy funds, but I would not count out the fossil yeah. fuel companies. Well, if everybody wants to mine Bitcoin or other cryptos and have an iPhone and charge their Tesla, we're going to need the power to come from somewhere. And a lot of that is actually digging stuff out of the ground. Charles Self, iSectors, Chuck, a pleasure having you on. Thanks very much. Have a good weekend, my friend. We'll see you soon. Take care. Thank you, Brian. All right, you're very welcome. Hey, oil and gas. Maybe it's the new big tech. All right, when we come back, your big money movers on this Friday morning, including that, Peloton shares. They're up a little bit this morning, but after a huge recall this week, we'll tell you more about it. Dow futures up 30, a busy hour still ahead. Worldwide Exchange is back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy 
to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. All right, welcome back. It is time now for your Friday Big Money Movers. Three stock stories that you have to know about, or at least we, we think you should know about. Stock number one. Peloton shares are recovering a bit this morning, up 6.5% this after dropping sharply earlier this week on the recall of the company's treadmills. In its earnings call last night, Peloton told investors it expects the recall to cut fourth quarter sales, fiscal fourth quarter, by $165 million. As for last quarter, results did top expectations. Sales jumped 141%. The company said supply chain investments helped it improve delivery issues, But remember, Peloton stock down nearly by half since the start of the year. In a year, it's up 102%, but down nearly 50% from its peak in February. Well, get on that Peloton if you've been going to Shake Shack every day. Story number two is the Shack. Shares are down sharply this morning. Earnings beat the street, but sales fell short even as it ramps up expansion around the world. The Shack getting shook, down 8%. Stock number three, Roku. Shares are roking you right now. They're up 8%. Results topping expectations. Sales jumped 79% during the quarter. Guess what? At-home streaming continues to be a big trend. Roku, though, like Peloton, well off from the beginning of the year. Roku was a nearly $500 stock in mid-February. It's up this morning, but, quote, only to 306.50. All right, we got a long way to go this morning. Still on deck, the new normal. Do you want to know what the workplace, maybe your workplace, will look like in the next few months? The CEO of Avaya might have the answer based on what kind of phone technology companies are buying. You will join us with his unique perspective next. Today's big number, $207.94. That was the revenue per available room in downtown Cleveland hotels on April 29th, as the NFL draft boosted daily hotel performance to a 532-day high. That's more than double the same Thursday from 2019. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
All right, welcome back. Business communication software company Avaya posting solid earnings. It did beat the street last night. Right around street estimates, sales were up 8% from a year ago. company says that more shares available hurt its EPS growth. But as millions return to the office, what is the future of office-based software? Joining us now is Jim Churico. He is the president and CEO of Avaya, and we're proud to have him on, Jim. Thank you very much for joining us. First off, to your earnings, before we get to bigger stuff, your earnings, market did not like the guidance, stock down pre-market, ease some investor concerns. What might the, the market, Wall Street, whatever, be getting wrong about your quarter and your guidance? Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, if you take a look at what happened yesterday, clearly that uh, can't control the stock market. That's just an indication of uh, one day. We've actually been on a, a transformation journey for the last couple of years. And if you go back, our stock is up 210% from a year ago. And what that has done is it's forced some dilution of some of the share options that we've had out there, which is sort of a, sort of a benefit and a curse of actually being a profitable uh, cloud company. Um, also, if you take a look, our fundamentals have never been stronger in, in our business. Um, and, you know, if uh, the this tech sector in and of itself has been under a little bit of pressure with the move more to uh, cyclicals. But, you know, we, what we do is we control our, uh, our business model. We control, obviously, the, the operations of the company. And as I mentioned, we've spent a lot of time over the last year or so reshaping our portfolio, really moving to cloud and recurring revenue, and really fortifying our position as a leader in the uh, large enterprise communication and collaboration business. Yeah, communications, you want to move to a subscription model more than just a buy it once and we'll see you later model as well. How has, Jim, the pandemic, okay, changed what you do? You are a business communications software company. I'm sure many of our viewers and listeners use your product and don't even know it. How has things changed? Yeah, no, they, they, they've changed quite a bit. And um, unfortunately, the pandemic has actually uh, hurt a number of businesses. But for the business communication environment, the cloud environment, it's actually accelerated the transformation to digital somewhere around three to five years. And before the pandemic, new technologies in our space like AI, collaboration, cloud solutions were emerging technologies. Today, they're front and center. And that fits in exactly what we did when we repositioned our portfolio a couple years ago. And to your point, Brian, our ARR, which is accounts for recurring revenues, we were up 31% sequentially. We're up over 400% year on year. Our recurring revenues now represent um, over 66% uh, of our revenue, which, if you will, two years ago, that number was, was in the mid-50s. And it's a real testament to our innovation a real testament to our relevance. And really, we're a, we're a global provider. We're in 180 countries, and we also provide solutions any way our customers want it, be it on-prem, a uh, public offer, a private offer. Um, so we, are, we cover the full breadth of the, of the space. So we're, uh, we're excited about the opportunities that are in front of us. Well, the stock has bounced back in a big way. I mean, you were, you're a $6 stock in April of last year. You're now a $26 stock. So while down in the pre-market, you've, you've boomed off that low. But let's talk about the, forget about Avaya. Let's talk about the world, the business world, because video software, you're, you're in that game that obviously boomed. What's the workforce of the future? And I mean, the next 12 to 24 to 36 months, Jim, going to look like our video meetings, 
Are they dead? Is it going to be like a hybrid of if I have to get on a plane down there in Raleigh-Durham at the RDO, as we say, I'll do it. But half the time, I'm going to still do a video call. What are you expecting from your own employees? Yeah, if you take a look at it, I I don't believe we're ever going to go back to the office as we were back in January of 2020. Our technology is is fit for purpose, so one can operate as efficiently and productively from home as they as they can in the office. I think your point was spot on. I think we'll see a bit of a hybrid um, solution. I, I don't believe the uh, collaboration and video solutions. Um, they may dip a bit, but but there's a tremendous market opportunity out there. There's sort of a pent up demand as well. And again, we we focus on all segments: SMB, mid market, as well as the the large enterprise. Our real mm-hmm. market share, we're, we're number one in the world, is around large complex uh, contact centers. And really, the shift of the pandemic has also enabled those new technologies to drive a better customer experience. And that's where we see the the market moving. That's where we're investing significantly. And those investments are really starting to, to pay off. Yeah. But I think, you know, it's going to but be quickly, a, a mix. We'll, so, sorry, sorry to interrupt, Jim, but will your workers, your own employees, your teammates, your colleagues, will they or are they already back in, in the office in North Carolina, in New Jersey, in New York? What What's your own office going to look yeah, like? Yeah, they are not. They, they are not, to be honest. We're Right now we're targeting... Uh, around September 1st for our employees to come back. And the real reason there is more just around uh, trying to work their personal life with their business life. As I said, they can be as productive as home, but obviously they have children. Uh, some of the summer camps are still not open. We don't want to cause a lot of disruption um, to our employees' uh, uh, work-life balance. So we're targeting September 1st. Uh, we'll see, obviously, how the rollout goes with the vaccines and, and where the pandemic is at that point. But we're certainly in, in no rush to bring our employees back. We understand and we're trying to, to balance, as I said, work with life. And our other countries, because we operate in 180, we're basically following the laws of, of the government. And so in some countries, folks are, are, are back in. But to your point, they're back in, you know, typically three to four days a week and uh, more times than not, it's not at 100 percent capacity, but it's working. It's working well. Well, if some schools are still closed or camps are still closed in the summer, they, they I'm sure they're happy to hear that, Jim, because they can't, you can't leave the seven year old home alone. Jim Chirico, CEO of Avaya Stock, well off at six dollar lows one time last year. Jim, a pleasure to have you on Worldwide Exchange. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Best to you and your team. You too. Thank you very much. All right, you're very welcome. All right, let's step outside of the world of business and get a check on some of this morning's other top headlines, see what else is happening out there for that. Let's go to Philip Mena in New York with the latest. Phil, good morning. Hey, Brian, good morning. Uh, Later this morning, President Biden is expected to speak about the April jobs report due out at 830 Eastern. The president will also likely make the case for keeping the momentum going by passing his $2.3 trillion infrastructure bill. The president insists his plan will increase American manufacturing and jobs and will modernize the American economy. An out-of-control Chinese rocket is expected to crash back down to Earth this weekend. Most of the 10-story, 23-ton booster will burn up during re-entry, but some smaller debris could pose a risk. Keep in mind, the surface of the Earth is mostly water, so the chances of getting hit are pretty slim. Still, the U.S. military is tracking the rocket, but they say they won't be able to pinpoint where it will fall until just a few hours before it happens. 
And the Atlanta Braves are getting ready for what they say is like opening day 2.0. The stadium will be opened with full capacity tonight for the first time in 19 months. Close to 41,000 people will be in attendance. And fans can also get vaccinated there at the stadium. And those who do, well, they will get two free tickets to a future game. So, Brian, that's pretty cool incentive there to get inoculated. Wow, full capacity, 41,000 folks there in Atlanta. Of course, the Braves one game under 500. Phil, before we let you go, can you give us a general indication of where that rocket's going to crash, man? Like, don't just say there's a lot of water on the planet. Like, we talking, <laughs> you know, certain parts of New Jersey? I mean, do we have to duck for cover? What's up? Uh, yeah, I will be uh, I will be hanging out as inland as possible, you know, just in case. You know, I don't want to be in the splash zone, you know. Only in SeaWorld uh, is that acceptable. Just I think we'll be okay, though. Philip. Philip Mena getting his Ferrari and making a run for Scranton later this That's afternoon. Right. Philip, if we see you Monday, we'll know everything turned out okay. Philip That's Mena, right. have a good weekend, my friend. Take care. All right, you too. All right, 41,000 in Atlanta, and some schools are still closed. All right, coming up, is Big Tech's big 10-year run done? One strategist says that growth may be done growing. And by the way, if you haven't already, grow your mind. Subscribe to our podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and elsewhere. Check us out. We appreciate it. Dow Futures up 36, NASDAQ up as well. Looks like a good jobs Friday. We're back right after this. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Friday morning, exactly 5.30 on the old nose. Well, your next guest says that growth stocks may not grow as much as they did in the past few years. And he just downgraded his view of growth over value after 14 years of outperformance by growth. Keith Lerner is the chief market strategist at Truist Advisory Services, and he joins us now. Keith, uh, I read your note a couple of days ago, and I looked at it, and I thought, holy smokes, I knew growth had done well. Your data, and I'll read it. I'm, I apologize for reading. Look at the script. The growth style, as you call it, gained 372% from 2006 versus just 63% for what you call the value style. I knew, everyone knew, growth had outperformed value. I did mm-hmm. not know it was to that extent. Has that flipped? Are we in the middle or the beginning of a multi-year or decade-long fundamental shift? Well, first, uh, happy Friday, Brian. Great to be with you again. And uh, we do think it's values time in the sun right now. Um, The 14-year cycle is an extended cycle, one of the most extended growth outperformance cycles in history. And if you think about why that happened, Brian, think about growth started to really take leadership uh, heading into the financial crisis. Financials got hammered. And we had the slowest uh, economic recovery in history the last decade. So investors paid a premium for growth. But really, um, growth has, I mean, or, and growth and technology has really started to underperform for several months. This is a new phenomenon. We were, we went um, overweight value earlier this year, and we think, as we have above trend economic growth this year and next, that value will continue to outperform. And we still think there's some more upside there, especially with the financials, energy, materials as our three favorite sectors. Wow. I do need to correct you on something, O'Keefe. We at Worldwide Exchange don't call it Friday. We call it we get to sleep the next two days day. So from now on, it's no longer Friday. It's, it's sleep in the next two days days. Otherwise, where should we then 
be investing? I mean, do we, you know, dump the FANG stocks and buy FANG like Diamondback Energy? I mean, literally, do we dump iPhone companies and start buying oil companies? Well, I still think there's some opportunities within growth. We're not saying, hey, move totally out of growth. And I would say within the growth area, the one area that still looks relatively strong is the communication side. So I wouldn't necessarily give up on that. I just think that um, we have more upside in things like financials. Let me give you an example, Brian. Financials just moved above the 2007 high. And over the last uh, you know, 13, 14 years, they've been compounding at a rate of 1%. And that's versus about 7% for the S&P. So we still think there's catch-up potential, especially as this economy uh, recovers as a whole. And then you think about uh, things like materials. Everyone's concerned, and we talked about this recently on your show, about commodity prices moving up. Why not benefit from that trend by being in some of these material uh, areas? And then energy, um, you know, people are going to still be driving. Uh, we're seeing more, more travel as, as a whole. And the energy sector has underperformed the broad-based market by about 80% over the last three years. So there's still opportunity. Mm. There's still upside. Um, and we would be sticking with that trend and using pullbacks to get more into the value side of the market. Yeah, we've seen uh, you know uh, stuff done by Tom Lee at Fundstrat doing great work showing when the price of oil is at you know whatever level, 65 bucks, oil stocks tend to be higher than they are now, but they've been dumped by institutional ownership. We know that a lot of ESG funds say they simply will not own it. Is that underperformance and that unloved nature? Could that be a benefit for those who can learn to love it? I mean, that's right. I mean, you know, the energy sector became the smallest weight basically in the history of the index coming into this year. And we've seen a sharp rebound. But the other thing that's important is it's not just a you know a thesis saying hey these things are starting to look better. The earnings are are actually stronger in these areas that I discuss financials, materials, and energy than any other area in the market. So meaning the upward momentum relative to the overall market is is still strong, and that's also why technology has um, you know underperformed some. In, in early into this pandemic, you know, technology was the only place to, to go, really, because these companies were thriving. But now there's a lot of catch-up potential in these other areas uh, of the market. We just think there's, there's more upside to go in here, Brian. That's a, it's a big, bold call from Keith Lerner at Truist Advisory Services there. Keith, certainly watching it. Maybe things like, you know, paved rock, Vulcan materials and other names like that could be better buys longer term than and some of the growth names. Keith, it's a real good call. We appreciate you coming on. Best to you and yours. We'll see you soon. Take care. Yep. Have a great weekend, Brian. All right. Thank you very much. Great weekend, meaning lots of sleep. All right. Right now, more good news. Your weekly insider buying is back. Remember, during earnings season, things slow down. A lot of insiders can't buy, so we got to kind of pause the segment for a couple of weeks. But now we're back, and we've got enough big buys to come back this week. As always, listing the top five companies with the most insider buying, not buybacks. Executives buying their own stock with their own money. And as always, we count you down five to one. Don't show them all right now. We gotta, you got to do it like, you know, here we go, five to one. Don't read that. Ignore the graphic. Stock number five, Rockwell Automation. CFO buying 131000 worth of that stock. Stock number four, Massimo. It's a California-based medical technology company. The general counsel making his first buy ever worth $231,000. The third most insider buying, a much bigger company than the previous two, Eli Lilly, a director there, board member, 
buying 250000 worth. And InsiderScore.com says this insider's got a pretty strong insider buying track record. Stock number two, Associated Bank, ASB, a board member buying 638000 His first buy in eight years. We're watching you, some sort of tree-based logo bank. And the most insider buying this week is sensor company Amphenol, a board member there buying $1.3 million worth of the stock. Insider score notes, the first buy by this insider since 2018. And, by the way, buying on strength, that stock is at an all-time high. So there you go. Your top five insider names this week. Rockwell, Massimo, Lilly, Associated Bank, and Amphenol. All data from InsiderScore.com. We do it every week outside of earnings season and only here on Worldwide Exchange. Those stocks, by the way, have tended to outperform over the course of the past year. Well, many of the CEOs and insiders we just named probably have second or even third homes. They're rich. But second homes aren't just for the rich anymore. In fact, there's a huge demand for second cribs. The problem is that if you want to buy one, a timing for your loans may not be worse. Diana Olick probably owns six homes, and she joins us now to explain why the timing of all you second home buyers may be just a touch off. Diana. Just the one home, Brian. Just the one I'm in right now. Look, starting this year, mortgage giants Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac put a 7% cap on the share of second home loans they'll buy. That's vacation homes or investor properties. Now, this was at the request of federal officials under the Trump administration. They were looking to lower risk at the two companies. So now it's harder to qualify for a second home loan, and those loans may be pricier. This, as the second home share of mortgage applications jumped to over 14% in February, up from annual averages of 9% in 2019 and 10% in 2020. Demand is up because of the increase in remote work and a little bit of urban flight. Now, a mortgage broker in Boca Raton, Florida, Matt Weaver, told me demand is way up, but he said, we are seeing it become increasingly difficult to qualify for financing for a vacation home or investment property. While there's no black and white change to requirements, we are seeing profiles that would once be approved now experience more challenges. But it's not game over, especially since mortgage rates are still so low. Melissa Cohen, a mortgage broker in the New York City area, said some non-bank lenders are now taking advantage of the changes at Fannie and Freddie and expanding their second home lending. Banks got more restrictive in general during the pandemic, but over the course of the past two months, she said most banks have started to thaw and have reopened their lending to second homes and investment properties. She also noted that borrowers just have to get a little more creative, like opting for a 10-year arm, which Fannie and Freddie don't do. That's fixed rate for 10 years. So there are options, Brian. Okay, so Diana, with rates, start, I think, starting to rise a little bit right now, let's talk about additional issues, not just availability of mortgages, maybe tightening, whatever. What is your crystal loan ball telling you about rates going forward? And, and aren't they higher for second homes sometimes just simply because of the nature of the house? 
Yeah, because they're considered riskier loans. So there's a bit of a premium on those. But what's really interesting, and Melissa Cohn noted, is that as rates rise, refinances dry up. And that was a huge part of the lending business. So what happens? The mortgage lenders start to get more competitive with each other and start to offer some more deals on the other loans that they can get, which are the purchase loans. So even as rates inch up, and remember, we are still so historically low. I mean, I bought my first house at 9% and I thought that was a good deal. And we're still around 3% on the 30-year fixed. So they're starting to make better deals. And again, it's just a matter of shopping around and trying to be maybe a little more creative. Or just selling all your Dogecoin and buying a fat pad in Lake Tahoe like all the cool kids are doing, Diana. Cash. I don't have any. Nope. I know. Me neither. One house, Olick. We appreciate it. Good to see you, Diana. Have a great great weekend. Diana Olick on a second home from Diana. Take care. All right. Diana's like, "Why, why do I get up early for this? All right, on deck. As many of you get called back to the office, your bosses are becoming really worried about COVID-related liability. In other words, it may actually be more about lawsuits than anything else. Contessa Brewer is here with that next. All right, welcome back. Let's talk about the return to work, you going back to the office, and the challenges that companies and workers are facing. Because it is not just about commutes or COVID. It's all about liability and big concerns over big lawsuits. Contessa Brewer joining us now with some of the challenges that companies are talking about before bringing all their employees back to the office. Uh, My favorite part about going back to the office is seeing you, Contessa. But other than that, what are people worried about? I look different outside this box, Brian. It's true. I'm looking forward to seeing you too, Betty. You know, these big insurers like Chubb and AIG and Travelers, they're just bracing for an onslaught of lawsuit-related claims as businesses push to bring workers back to the office. Litigation is rising already. Employment and labor law firm Jackson Lewis tracks COVID-related employment lawsuits nationally. And look, they've gone up. California and New Jersey are seeing the most. And they say the business community never really faced a situation where the law is so uncoordinated and provides such little guidance on potential legal exposures. So what are the potential pitfalls here? I asked the head of Marsh's employment practice who said it starts with who is asked to return to work. The notion that um, certain individuals or classes of of people or even individual employees are being favored or disfavored over others um, immediately should should raise concerns. The second big pitfall, request for accommodation. Employees have, of course, varying needs and considerations, child care, elder care, health issues. They may have proven they can be effective working from home. So when employers deny requests for accommodation, i.e., can I please continue to stay home, the employer may open themselves up to lawsuits. Third, health and safety here. Thorig tells me that employers bear the responsibility of demonstrating the workplace is safe and healthy, and though it's legal to require employees to get vaccinated, it could prove a liability if someone has complications from the vaccine down the road or if there are health or religious reasons why the worker wants to avoid that vaccine, Brian. Yeah, I mean, there's so many questions, Contessa. I mean, you could see a situation about safety, ensuring a safe workplace, 
if the advice may be to or the person to your point says, I'm just not going to take the vaccine? Or what if somebody simply says, you know what? I don't feel safe coming back to the office. I mean, literally, what are you supposed to do with that? We don't care if you don't feel safe. Get back in. This is a hard calls that are coming. There, there is a very fine line that these employers have to walk at this point because you may have employees who, who want a vaccine mandate or customers who want a vaccine mandate. And then on the other hand, you have people who say, um, it's my medical choice not to get vaccinated. You have to um, balance out privacy concerns. And then these employee relations, if you have a set of vaccinated workers and a set of unvaccinated workers, will there be friction between them and when you're doling out travel assignments and those kinds of things, you know, they say the best way to do to go about this is maybe to offer incentives for vaccinations. And you had Wynn Resorts announcing just a few weeks ago, we're going to require you to prove mm-hmm. you've been vaccinated or you go in for weekly COVID tests and you have to prove you're negative. So they're making it sort of a hassle okay. not to get vaccinated. Can, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call an audible here, Contessa, because there's nothing you love more than when I'm wrong. I just know that. And I'm going to admit that mea culpa, I am wrong, but I'm wrong in a good way. I thought Vegas would be sold out by Labor Day, and that was bullish. This is your space. I'm told <laughs> Vegas, many of the hotels are sold out. I know you're laughing it up. Vegas is sold out now. That's your beat. Casinos, they're booming. Yeah. We heard from Caesars that uh, 85% occupied in April. April just blew out expectations um, in terms of occupancy, in terms of what the earnings were at the properties. Because remember, these casinos, Caesars especially, but all the casinos have figured out how to cut costs and be more efficient in the way that they run their operations. And so the profit margins are expanding. And by the way, they think May and June, the prediction is, it's going to be fully occupied because they're back in business and the, that all-important midweek convention business, the group business, is returning. Yeah, the convention business is coming back. We are going back to the office. Contessa Brewer is back. Contessa, always a pleasure to see you. Thank you. Nice to see you, Brian. All right, good to see you as well, Contessa. All right, on deck. Will another one million jobs boom back in this booming economy or will closed schools and big benefits crush the comeback? We'll talk about it next. But a big CNBC event to tell you about coming up on Tuesday. Join us for the healthcare CEOs, technologists and investors that explore the most innovative companies and how they are addressing the coronavirus crisis and the lasting effect. It is called CNBC Healthy Returns. It's May 11th. You can sign up at cnbcevents.com slash healthy returns. We're going to return right after this. Dow Futures of 40. All right, welcome back. It's Friday. It's also monthly payroll day. The monthly jobs number is out at 830. And Wall Street expects exactly 1 million jobs to come roaring back as COVID fades. But while that sounds like a big number, and it is, could it be even better? Let's bring in Tom Porcelli, Chief U.S. Economist at RBC Capital Markets. Tom, one million the average, but the average is the average. The estimates are all over the place. Where are you at? Yeah, the average, uh, the uh, people are all over the place, which makes a lot of sense, just given where we are. There's, there, there's so much data that are coming in on a regular basis um, that it is uh, sometimes um, conflicting. 
uh, you know, like a great example would be uh, if you look at the claims data, the continuing claims data, and you have to obviously look at it survey week to survey week. And what we saw there was a, a, an absolutely gargantuan improvement. Um, and so for, for us, um, when we make a, sort of an adjustment to that number, you know, we're looking for 1.1 million. But look, Brian, I, you know, one of the things we've been saying to people is, you know, I, I think that there's a big neutral range on this number, right? So I think, you know, speaking with some clients over the last few days, I think people are sort of braced for anything between 800,000 and, and roughly 1.1 million, 1.2 million. So I, mm. I think it, there's a lot of asymmetry with this number. In other words, if, that, if, we, if you do come into this neutral range, um, I think it elicits minimal reaction. If you come just north of that range, I think that probably also elicits only a modest reaction. I think the real reaction function here is if you print something less than, say, 800,000. I think that's where the asymmetry sits. If we get a very low number, Tom, Okay, there is going to be the cries because we know the underlying economy is booming. I spoke with a truck broker friend of mine yesterday. Usually a truckload is about two dollars and 50 cents a mile for his market. He's now or his customers are now having to pay seven to eight dollars a mile. The economy is booming. If we come in below 800, is it a sign that simply people aren't working? Because we know no. the economy is doing well. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look, it's hard to make the uh, argument that people aren't working at 800,000 people being, being uh, uh, turned down on a monthly basis. No, I, I, think, I, think, that there are, I think there are supply constraints, and, and I think that's what your friend is, is, is highlighting. I mean, look, by the way, this is not you know, unique to what your friend is saying. It, it, it's anywhere you want to see it, and, and it's anywhere you want to see it in the, in, in the data. You know, the, the Small Business Survey has been lamenting um, uh, the inability to hire people. The Beige Book, the Fed's Beige Book, has been saying the same thing. The ISM reports, right? We got two of them this week, have also been saying the same yep. thing. So I, I think this, this supply constraint is real. It's funny. When we talk about supply constraints, we, we're all talking about all oh, the supply chain and, you know, we're having a hard time getting, you know, sort of certain inputs, et cetera. I think that the supply chain obviously also is inclusive of labor and people. Um, and, and, and it's becoming uh, sure. a, a rather acute. Yeah, I'll, I will quote the president. Humans are our infrastructure, right? I mean, <laughs> paraphrasing. Tom, there are restaurants near me shutting down because they can't get employees. And it's not just because of enhanced unemployment benefits. That probably plays into it. If the schools are closed, you can't go to work. If you're high risk or afraid of COVID, you may not go to work. There's a, the New York Times, by the way, did a story on this yesterday. There's a sort of a ton of reasons. And is that going to be the ability or the willingness to go back to work? Is that going to be maybe the greatest risk to the ultimate recovery. Yeah, so it, 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 it certainly could be. I think what we have to keep in mind is in the United States, right now we have 7 million job openings. Think about that, right? We're just coming out of this massive pandemic. The economy's turning on. We have 7 million job openings. And by the way, it shouldn't be lost on anyone that the number of jobs that we've lost today versus, you know, sort of February of, of 20 um, is around 8 million jobs, right? So in theory, we should have any, we, you know, we, we, at best we could have a million job openings, right? I mean, if we were basically able to employ all these people. So, so there's an impediment in the way. And, and look, I think hopefully reasonable people can have a discussion not an argument, a discussion about what those impediments are. But the reality is um, that there are a heck of a lot of job openings right now. And as a result, you know, we are starting to see this, this wage pressure building. Again, I know that sounds perverse for some people, but it's, it's, it's in the data. You can see it. Um, you know, the sort of the inability for companies – 
to, to pull people into these jobs is now creating wage pressure here at 6% uh, unemployment. Yeah. Um, I, I think things just will continue to sort of press in, in, in that direction. And this whole idea of inflationary pressure, um, we think it's real. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, this yeah. whole notion of it being transitory, I think the Fed is, is, is going to want to be wrong on that. Well, may, yeah, you know what? Maybe the Fed should get out there and talk to restaurant owners and, and talk to truck brokers instead of maybe just reading reports. Tom Porcelli, I would agree with you exactly on that. Tom Porcelli of RBC, a pleasure. Thank you very much, folks. That number is out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern, 1 million the estimate. I'm at 9.17, but I worry that may be even a little bit too high. Either way, have a spectacular weekend. Thanks for joining us. Squawk and the gang picking up the coverage next. Take care. We'll see you Monday. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.